Hey, good morning, church. Uh, you guys ready to have a great day with Jesus? You ready to do that? You have re ready to get into the Word of God and pray and reconsecrate yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ and to His church? You ready to do that? Good. Then my wife and I can just go have some brunch and you guys get on with that. No, um, no we're going to open up the Word of God and we're going um, to share uh, from God's Word and we're going to respond to God's Word here this morning. I want to tell you a quick story uh, heading in is uh, I'm a person that is acquainted with crisis, as you probably are as well. Uh, I'm acquainted with the crisis that nearly took my mother's life uh, last November, exact, almost exactly this day, uh, last November, and how um, doctors gave her 24 hours to turn around or her er organs would shut down, and uh, through the night, uh, her, her body responded and recovered, and my mother remains cancer-free uh, today. I remember that crisis. I remember the crisis that we had at Calvary Church when I was just this youth director back in 1992 when the church was $23 million in debt because of some, some mismanagement of, of the building and $7 million worth of work had to be undone and redone uh, for the building to meet with code and all of these things. And the church was $23 million of debt. Can you imagine having a mortgage payment, a monthly mortgage payment of $117,000? Can you imagine having that? And I can remember going to morning prayer on Wednesday, uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 6.30 in the morning in the chapel of the church and praying for God to deliver us from that debt. Calvary Church has zero debt today is completely out of debt. Not only did Calvary Church um, uh, remove all of that debt by God's power, but also raised another $12 million to add on uh, to that building. I can remember that crisis, and that crisis went away. I can remember the crisis of March 2015, where we decided here as a church to stand for the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus, specifically in Defining what biblical marriage is and defining what biblical sexuality is. Two very good purposes created by God and intended by God, yet distorted by man and distorted by the world. And so we stood for the word of God and we created an article that we had to present to this congregation. And uh, we, we received opposition to that. And people held up signs and news teams came here and uh, I was... Uh, probably one of the most despised religious leaders, at least in southwest Michigan for some time. Um, and uh, wow, that's a, that's a strange way to get famous, but that's how it happened. And yet that crisis has come and that crisis has passed. And we stand today for the word of God and for the testimony of God's word in all facets of life. It's great to have perspective on crisis after it's passed. It's great. That's a good thing to look back and, and to tell lessons. And so all the crises that you've been through where you've had to turn to Jesus and you've had to call out to God and you've had to pray and you've had to seek the Lord, all those crises where you were powerless to do anything and you really knew that the outcome was not in your hands, it was in the hands of others or was in the hands of Almighty God, tell your children, tell your grandchildren how those things worked out and how the Lord worked those things out. But it's a very different thing to be right in the midst of crisis. To literally, at this moment, this very day, to have to be prepared to face the crisis obediently and confidently. You see, crisis can break 
Crisis can break promises. Crisis can break security. Crisis can break progress. Crisis can break marriages. Crisis can break unity. Crisis can break Christians if they're not connected well to God's crisis management structure. And you're going to find that in God's word here this morning in Acts chapter 4. Church, where are we going to be this morning? Acts chapter 4. Are you ready to meet Jesus there in the word, the living word, who wrote the word through his Holy Spirit, who superintended the writing of the word through his amenuses, through his writers. We're going to go right there here this morning to Acts chapter 4. And in our passage, we're going to step right into that crisis that Pastor Cameron introduced last week where all now of the religious leaders of the Jerusalem community have come down on Peter and John. Their new mission in life to tell the world about Jesus Messiah is threatened by the religious establishment and the power brokers. The very thing that they have been commissioned to do they are commanded not to do. Do not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. It's right there in the scripture. And Peter and John, with the help of God's spirit, they summon the courage to respond. And they say, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help but speak what we have seen and heard. That's a righteous stand right there. That's a stand to tell your kids about, to tell your grandkids about. That's a righteous stand. But the scene will now change. They've taken this stand, but neither side has backed off. The tension of the moment remains exactly intense. And so this is the stage that we come to this morning. Two obedient servants of Jesus Christ called to share the good news of Jesus' life-changing power, they've taken their stand against the opposition, and the opposition is regathering to figure out what it will do. Alone, these two individuals are powerless. Their enemies can punish them. Their enemies do punish them. Their enemies threaten to continue to punish them. And we're left wondering, what will the outcome be? Will one side back down? Following Jesus just became a very hard Thing to do. Are you there? Are you there, Christian? Following Jesus became a very hard thing to do. Have you not had a moment, even just in the last day, in the last week, in the last month, where following Jesus just, it just wasn't easy? What's going to preserve the passion and the unity of this mission? Of these people that Jesus said back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will be my witnesses. Remain in Jerusalem until my spirit of power has come down upon you. Will they recall Jesus' statement all the way through the Johannan discourse, uh, the farewell discourse of Jesus in John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, reminding them that he's promised them his Holy Spirit, a helper, a guide, a provider, a paraclete, a come-alongside one, that will empower them to do the very things that Jesus has done. And that they should celebrate that because he is going away and sending his Spirit, they will be able to do these things. What are we going to see in the midst of this crisis, and where will Peter and John go for help with this crisis? Because faith-inspired obedience 
through the fellowship, through the ones united around Jesus Christ and his mission, is what is going to preserve the mission here this morning. So first, let's look at facing trials with faith. So I'm going to actually have you just look at the screen. Stay in Acts chapter 4, but look at the screen at 1 Peter uh, 4, 12, and 13. The proving of faith through trial. The proving of faith through trial. We were just in 1 Peter uh, for several months before, and we looked at 1 Peter 4, verses 12 and 13. And there's an amazing couple of statements by Peter that help us to understand that as Christians, we will face trials. And as Christians, those are God-ordained trials that have purposes intended by God that we may not even have figured out by the time we face them. And yet God will use them, and ultimately they will result in glory. All right? So let's look at, look, look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. Okay? So what is Peter saying there at the beginning? He's saying this. There is a why of your trial. There's a why. Okay? There is a purpose that God has. Don't be surprised. In other words, wait, don't act and think and walk like a person that isn't going to have a hard time following Jesus. Don't, don't act that way, because there's a world of opposition out there that's going to oppose Jesus, and Jesus warned you about that. Peter, who used to try to duck trials, remember, is now standing for them right here in Acts chapter 4, standing up in the face of opposition. And Peter is going to say to, to the church in Asia Minor later on in his life, don't be surprised at a fiery trial. There are God-ordained moments in life where it's hard to follow Jesus, and you're doing exactly the right thing. There are God-ordained moments where it is hard to follow Jesus, and you're glorifying God by doing it. Don't be surprised by the fiery trial when it comes upon you uh, to test you. All right, there's one of the purposes right there. To test you. What? To tempt you? No. To test you. To test your faith. As though something strange were happening to you. Verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering. Another purpose there. To make us more like Jesus. To mold us more into the image of Jesus Christ. The servant of his Father who gave his life as a ransom for us. Maybe in that suffering we will learn to give our lives away even more. To share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Even another purpose. That there's going to be a whole lot of celebrating when we all get together and the victory is complete. There's going to be a whole lot of celebrating and we're going to celebrate Jesus, but guess who Jesus is going to celebrate? You and me. Jesus is going to celebrate his followers who walked through hardship who faced trial, who walked right into the face of opposition and continued in crisis to be obedient to God and confident in the power and presence of God Almighty to walk them through that. And so there was a why why of a God-ordained trial. God has a purpose for that. We may not even know that purpose, but we know that we can be tested and tried in our faith to strengthen our faith. We know that in suffering... We can be conformed more to Jesus, and we know that we can rejoice. That's also the glory of the trial, of the God-ordained trial. We know that we can glory in that trial. If not today, we will one day. There's the opportunity for God's glory to be revealed. Paul and Barnabas in Philippian prison 
Because they were willing to go through that hardship, God's glory is revealed that night when the doors fly open. Even in this text, the impression of God's glory and character is shown through Peter and John as they face these Sadducees, Pharisees, and members of the Sanhedrin, and they stand firm in front of a religious power set of power brokers that really have no power. God's glory is revealed. God has purposes for tests, for trials, and God is glorified in them. Now, let's go and look past the glory of the trial and the why of the trial, and let's look at our partners that are in trials. And they're our peeps. They're our people. Because the amazing thing here, in verse 23, right as we start in Acts chapter 4, it says that Peter and John went to their very own people. And when it says their very own people, the word there in the Greek literally means their own selves. They were so united with these people, they had such commonality in their passion and their purpose, and what their lives were all about, that they didn't just say their people, anthropos, or something like that, they're, they're, or, or, or some other uh, group or ethnic name or anything like that that would characterize them as a separate sect of people. It says there, they went to their own selves. That's how united they were with the church of Jesus Christ and the power of his spirit. They went to their own selves. Verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? It's amazing to see that as soon as they go to their peeps, to their own selves, to their people, the people turn them back to praise, to worship. And how do they worship? They worship biblically. They go back to the scripture and they quote scripture with confidence. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? Why does anybody try to stop unstoppable God, they say? It's almost a mocking prayer. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord... Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They head into a new area of saying, okay, God, we know this is who you are, so now you go be who you are. You go be that conqueror. You go be that victor for us. This is not our problem. This is your problem. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with with the Holy Spirit, and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Wow, what a passage. What a passage that will teach us on how to face crisis and who are our partners in those trials. What is the first thing that we witness in this passage as a response to Peter and John going back to their people? Well, they are spurred to united praise. They're spurred to united praise. Do we have Do we have something, church, to gather around and praise God about collectively? Do we not have universally 
what God has offered to us? Do we not share that completely as one church family? Sure we do. There is no person, there is no favorite in this room that's gotten more of God or less of God in this room. We have all received the good gifts of God collectively and as one body, been sealed with God's Holy Spirit together. We have a lot to gather around God and to praise God about. And here, the scripture is saying, let's praise God for the trial that Peter and John and the rest of the early church community will endure because of this opposition. They're spurred to united praise. Now let's just pause for a second and be human. Let's just be human for a second. What would you and I have done? What would you and I have done? So some of your church people come to you and say, hey, there's people protesting outside. In fact, they're not just protesters, but they're the power brokers of this community. They own everything. They have incredible influence. They've threatened to imprison us. They've threatened more harm to us if we continue to preach in Jesus' name. Wouldn't maybe a few of us have said, where's the back door? Wouldn't maybe a few of us said, is there anybody that we can think of right now in this community that has money, that has influence, that has power, that could help us negotiate a deal to get out of this trouble? Would there be some of us here that would say, can we just compromise a little? Maybe not, maybe not speak in Jesus' name, but um, tell people, hey, um, 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 Believe in God. Tell people, you know, that namby-pamby religious language that does not confront us all with sin and the need for a Savior. What Paul said, if I'm going to preach the gospel, I cannot remove the offense of the gospel that calls us all sinners in need of Messiah. And Paul said, if I become a servant of man, I lose my title as a servant of Christ. I might have been one of those people. Humanly looking at this, there's just no way, there's no way this happens unless there is a special anointing of God's power and the presence of God's Spirit in all of the people. Instead of everybody saying, hey, this isn't my problem, this is your problem, Peter and John. In fact, you know, could you go and have dinner at your cousin's house tonight? Or not even house, because they're all still in Jerusalem. Maybe suggesting negotiation or uh, compromise, perhaps even Googling a bus ticket to get out of town. The first thing that these people do is they praise God. That should astound us. That should make me and my soul go, oh God, I want faith like that. I want faith to stand with my people who stand with Jesus. Why praise? Because the confidence that God was the answer. Where did they get this confidence? They knew the word of God. Jesus had been teaching them the word of God. Jesus had been speaking to them. They also knew the God of the word. 
They had met Messiah. They knew he was living God. They knew that this Jesus, this Messiah, was God himself in the flesh. They knew the word of God, but they knew the God of the word. And they had this confidence in their praise-filled prayer to recall two psalms, Psalm 2 and Psalm 142, showing that God is undefeatable. And they carried that truth from the Old Testament right to Messiah Jesus and looked at Messiah Jesus, who had just conquered sin and death and risen from the grave and ascended into heaven victorious and said, that's our God. And so praise was their response because... Because they were confident in their God. And then they line up the enemies right there in their prayer. If you look at verses 26 and 27, they line up their enemies right there after they share that psalm. They say, Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, and the peoples of Israel. They, they get everybody in there. Anybody. Anybody that's in opposition to God. They, they knock out the Roman government and leaders, and then they knock out those who aren't even in the Jewish community, and, and then the peoples of Israel. And they say that these enemies did whatever your hand and your plan predestined to take place. They basically say they're like puppets. They're like the little army men that you set up when you were a kid, you know, to play pretend war with them. You put them exactly where they were supposed to be, exactly in the position where you wanted them to be, so that the outcome would occur exactly the way that you expected it. God's way ahead of this, and they have confidence in this God. Ray Stedman states it this way, God's power is so marvelous that he uses the opposition to accomplish his purposes. And I don't know, I don't know three years ago all that God accomplished through that. I know that I got an audience with the entire city council to tell them that First Baptist Church of Zeeling was standing for the word of God. I got the opportunity to respond to some people who said, yeah, Clint, what was, what was that all about, about you being the axe murder pastor? I got a chance to tell people, I got to tell, a chance to tell some friends, Johnny and friends, and to give glory to God for the way that the church had stood together with me and with its elders. God's power is so marvelous that he uses the opposition to accomplish his purpose. And so they say in confident prayer, God, beat this and keep us victorious. We're going to walk in the victory of Jesus. And so let's look at the second thing that occurs. They are strengthened by sound theology. Sound theology, basically upon the sovereign working of God. But not sovereign working of God as it was just promised in the scripture, but as it had been realized in Jesus Christ. They were witnesses. You will be my witnesses to the ends of, in, in Jerusalem, Judea, greater Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They were witnesses to this power. They had seen sound theology. They had seen Messiah come. They had seen Messiah minister. They had seen Messiah go sinless and yet give himself as a sacrifice for their sins. They had seen Messiah defeat the grave. They had seen Messiah ascend into heaven. They were strengthened by sound theology, sovereign victory of God over all of his enemies because their enemies had been defeated by Jesus. Your enemies have been defeated by Jesus. Good theology always brings great rest to the soul. Let your soul rest today in the victory of Jesus. Just pause right now. Just let your soul rest right now 
in the victory of Jesus. You will not face God for one single sin. You're covered by the blood of Jesus. No matter how much money you lose in the future trying to live for Jesus, no matter how much fame you lose, no matter how many friends you lose trying to, be, to, to follow Jesus, you will be united with a sea of people one day and you will celebrate Jesus forever. Rest in the victory of Jesus. You know, we're prone to fall into some really bad theology when we're shaken by crisis, aren't we? You struggling in marriage right now? Students, are you struggling at school? Maybe somebody is mistreating you. Maybe there's some small crisis that as you keep on spinning it with your anxiety and your worry, you're making it a bigger crisis, and you are tempted right now to disobey and follow your plan rather than God's plan for marriage, for wh whatever it is that you're dealing with in this community in which you live. Perhaps the most dangerous bad theology of all is this, I will solve this myself. Perhaps that's the worst theology ever created by man. God's not capable, God's not attentive, God's not powerful enough. I've got to step in for him and do a better job than he can. And I pray for you. Those of you who are hurting, you're going through trial, you're going through suffering. I pray for Christy Vandenberg today, who lost her mother unexpectedly this week. Church, lift her up. Pray for her as she struggles through this, wrestles through this. Hard times are exactly that, hard. Aegis Fernando, in his commentary on this passage, says, We say that we accept the Bible's authority in all things. But in a crisis, that authority sometimes seems to be forgotten, and then we begin to act in unbiblical ways. God, don't let that be us. Let's have sound theology in the sovereign ability of God, sound theology as we walk in the victory of Jesus. This fellowship knew the word of God, but they also knew the God of the word. They knew that the answers to all of life's issues were in Jesus the word of God. They had the personal experience of his resurrection power and they had the word of God that is for them, not against them. They fell back on the book. They fell back upon scripture. I was uh, umpiring a uh, Little League All-Star baseball game and that's always fun when we get to All-Stars because then the parents get really nice. And um, and you're umpiring and I'm, I'm out there umpiring and I'm the plate umpire which means head umpire which means, it's supposed to mean, it's supposed to mean what I say goes, okay? It's supposed to mean that, all right? So I'm not going to tell you where it was. It was somewhere uh, near, near here, like the initials are Georgetown. But anyway, <clears throat> I'm at this game, and um, this team is kind of coming back against this other all-star team. Whoever loses this game is out of the playoffs and season over, and it's time to hit the beach, right? And so I'm, I'm umpiring, and a very, very strange occurrence happens in the game, one that I've never umpired before. It literally never had happened ever in a game. And I have to call dead ball, and I've got to figure out what are, what's the penalty here, what's wrong here, how do, does the rule book make all of this right? Okay? 
And so I call the coaches in, I call my field umpire in, and we all confer, and we all, we all recognize that we don't know enough of this rule book, this little league rule book, to make a judgment, okay? So then we take another 10 minutes, we go into the dugout, and I go into my book bag, and I pull out my little league rule book, and I say, see, this is what head umpires do. Um, they blame it on the rule book. And so we uh, go into the rule book, and we, try, we go the closest that we can come to finding the answer to the question that we have for this dead ball penalty and it's not in the book it's never happened it's never happened it's not in the book and so what do you do when you don't have an answer that's supposed to be in the book well the league commissioner then shows up and says I'm calling the district 9 commissioner and he's going to make the call And so they get on the phone. 20 minutes after this dead ball incident, okay, it's darkness is coming now. The commissioner says, this is the way it's going to be, and I declared this is the way it's going to be. Is Jesus making the call in your life? Is he making the call in your life? They knew the word of God, but they knew the God of the word it wasn't just a rule book it had authority it had authority for them because it was personal it was powerful it was whole it was complete it was exactly what trains you up in godliness rebukes you correctly it is exactly the spirit breathed the god breathed word of god they were strengthened by sound theology are you that bible christian are you that Bible Christian where your fellowship can lead other people back to the Bible, back to truth, back to answers? Like I said, it's one thing to look back on a crisis and tell the biblical truths about it. It's another right there in that very moment to be ready with the word of God and to respond and pray the word of God right to the very people who need to hear it. We, we look at our fellowship sometimes in the church and we say, well, I don't really get much out of that and I don't get much of that. And we look at it as a consumer Many times, and we, we choose whether or not we're going to join this group or this Sunday school class or this small group or whether or not we're going to serve here or whether or not it suits our calendar and suits our schedule. Do we recognize that we have people all around us that need to hear the Word of God and receive the Word of God from us for their encouragement, for their building up, just as the Scripture says? This church needs your fellowship, and you need this church's fellowship. You're partners with Jesus, and Jesus wants you to remain united in his mission. So let's be strengthened by sound theology together. Third, this is what happened. They were trusting victorious God. That was personal trust. Paul states in Romans, if God be for us, who can be against us? And that's right after a victorious statement that comes after a theological treatise on the perfect plan of God to save us all from death and from hell. Romans 1, uh, 1 through 8. Where he starts, he finishes with Romans 8, 1. Therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 6, 17, Paul says it this way. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient to God from the heart. Deep on your insides, there, at, at, at the emotional seat of all of your consciousness and your will. 
You were once slaves to sin, but now you've become obedient to God from the heart. Thanks be to God for that. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, he declares, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory in Jesus Christ. What's the lesson here? The lesson is this, is that faith that truly is confident and victorious God always returns to praise, always returns to strength, always returns to sound theology, always returns to unity. If you're walking with victorious God, God has delivered you and me from the ultimate crisis of our existence, our very eternity, through Jesus. Could we stop just as a church and just say out loud, thanks be to God after these truths? Repeat, thanks be to God after you hear these truths. Number one, God's provided a way for us out of sin. God has provided a way to pleasing Him in holiness through Jesus Christ, our righteousness. God has delivered us from death and hell. We will never, never, never face punishment for our forgiven sins. God has sealed us in victory with His indwelling Holy Spirit. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ, which raised Him from the dead, is the very power in which we can live right here and now. Praise the Lord. Sound theology. Man, it turns you back to praise. Strengthens your soul. Fourth, there was the reassuring presence of God. After they prayed and they said, God, this is your problem, not ours, and you're the victor already, God, so just win again, what happens? The place shook. And I went and looked it up in the Greek, you know, when it says in the place that they were in was shaken, I'm like, oh man, there's got to be a really great word there. And the Greek word, what it means is the place is shaken. <laughs> there's nothing really, really unique or special there. And uh, it just literally means that God gave a visible and an experiential statement that confirmed the very united will of these sound, theologically strengthened believers. I'm with you. I'm with you. The reassuring presence of God. After they prayed, the place was shaken. What was God doing? He was reminding them that he was with them. Emmanuel, who we will celebrate this Christmas, when we look at the Righteous But Afraid series that we're going into starting December the 2nd. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus was living in them. God is templing now with his people. And so this isn't, a, this isn't the temple in Jerusalem that's being shaken. It's the place where they are. You know where God shakes places now? Wherever you are. That's where God shakes places. Where God asserts his power and his presence. Wherever you are because now you are templing with God in your very body through the Holy Spirit. And so the experience of God and the presence of God is not limited to location anymore. But everywhere God's people go, everywhere God's people are, that's the reassuring presence of God. Where are you headed right now? Where are you headed right now? Where are you headed? That's where God's going. What's your next step? What's your next decision? What's your next encounter? What's your next crisis? What's your next choice? God's going there with you. Finally this. Then comes the resolve to continue the mission. 
After the place was shaken, what did they do? They were filled with the Spirit. And what did they do? What did they do? They continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Not just Peter and John, y'all. They. They all, all the peeps, all of the very own selves, continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. The resolve to continue the mission. There was a collective experience that built their resolve to continue on in the victory of Jesus. Do you see that in verse 31? They're all filled with the Holy Spirit, and so they speak boldly in the name of Jesus. How? How did they do it? They did it together. I want you to recognize church, the power that exists in the church, the people of God. God gives an experience of his power and presence, not individually. In this culture where everything is all about just you, in this culture that slices everything all the way down to your preferences, what you like and what you dislike, it's all about you, 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 you. Us happened with God. We happened with God right here in this passage. They together experienced the power of God. We live now in a world that wants to customize every individual experience so that you just become the perfect consumer and customer. And that's not God's plan. If the church is counter-cultural in any way, in any way at all, let it be the church's countercultural in living together in biblical community, convinced to live one whole life of Jesus together as one body. Let's be countercultural that way. God calls us to Himself as one body. The mission of the church is our mission. He wants us to meet him in his word together. Together he desires to receive our prayers. Together he desires to be experienced as his church. Together he wants us to walk in the victory of Jesus and conquer every single enemy and then celebrate one day with him together. The mission of the church is our mission. It's not for just a few bold leaders up front. Peter and John, could y'all just you know, Pete, you've always just kind of been that upfront guy. Could you just kind of represent the rest of us? No. It's not for some to obey and others to watch. God's calling us, all of us, the church, to obedience in blessing and in crisis. In any time of crisis, the supreme battle, I'm borrowing this from Fernando and Ray Steadman again, but at any time, the supreme battle is not for power. The supreme, uh, the supreme battle is not for preservation. The supreme battle is for our obedience. We are called not to take the reins. We are called not to run away. We are called to trust and obey. Now evil, now evil, in Acts chapter 4, can thwart God's plan. Now opposition suggests that it can threaten what God is doing with his church. And the only thing that really threatens the church of Jesus Christ is not doing what God calls us to do. Not leaning into the fellowship for unity and reassuring support and praise. And so how do we conclude here this morning? We conclude with this. You need the fellowship. The fellowship that returns you to praise. How's your praise right now? A little down? little defeated the fellowship should be returning 
you to praise, to be strengthened by good theology, to be reassured by God's sovereignty, to be refilled with the scripture, the word of God. Since you know the God of the word, the word of God ought to resonate. To be filled and fought for in prayer and to experience Christ together. The fellowship matters in times of crisis. Prayer matters in times of crisis. Knowing the word of God and the God of the word well enough that you can recall the God of the word who shares his word with you in times of crisis, that matters. God's reassuring presence in times of crisis matters. And obedience to God at all times matters. Come on, let's pray and consecrate ourselves to this scripture. Let's allow the word of God to ask everything of us here this morning and reconsecrate ourselves to Jesus. Would you do that with me? Thank you. Thank you, church, for receiving God's word. Father in heaven, now, we give ourselves again to you and to your word. Now we fight that battle against unbelief and doubt and discouragement of separation and individuality, and we come back into the fellowship to our very people to be returned to praise, to be strengthened by sound theology, to be reassured by your presence, to pray and to be fought for and to fight with our peeps, and to resolve to continue the mission of Jesus. We give all of that to you. And Father, where there is the sin of unbelief in this room, where we haven't trusted you enough, where we've decided to go on our plan and we're following some really bad theology, Father, forgive us. We repent of it right now. Father, where we need to be lifted up again to the glorious vision of a holy life with you, Father, bring us to that. We give up all of our unbelief, all of our sin, all of our self-preservation and self-empowerment. And we wholly rely upon Jesus. And maybe we could just do something while our heads are bowed. This is kind of an old school thing, but just remember, I'm 27 years into this. I remember doing this a lot. This morning, if you need Jesus, if you just need you, just want to call out and say, Jesus, I need you. Lord, I need you. Lord, I'm responding to you. You just want to kind of seal the word of God in your heart today and your response to God today with just some, some act. Just, 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 just lift your hand here this morning. Just lift your hand and say, Jesus, I need you. Yes. God bless you, 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 that right there. Yes, both of you. Yeah, back there. Yeah, I know. Hey, I know. I know you need the Lord. Yeah, back here on the left, all the way over there in the back. Over here on the left. Thank you, brother. Yeah, I need the Lord. I need the Lord. And now make one more transition with God here this morning. One more transition. Not just I need Jesus. I'll obey you, Jesus. I will. I will. I will. I'll obey you, Jesus. pastor you through it whatever it is 
want to hear about it. The elders are going to be available to pray with you, especially today and um, in a few moments. Um, let us help you. Let us help you walk with Jesus um, here today, okay? Father in heaven, we give you glory for your word and power of your word. Thank you, God, for this whole act series. Remind us again that we are to be your witnesses. You will be my witnesses. There, there's no plan B. It's only the church. Let us be that church for you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I did notice some of you hunters are here today. So either you were successful or you didn't see anything and you just gave up. But um, it's nice to see some of you hunters here today. And maybe I just prompted you to tell me a story when we get out there in the narthex in a little while. Um, I'm going to invite Mark to come up here and be with me. Um, uh, this is elder approved um, communication. Is that what I should say? This is elder approved communication. Elder actually um, led communication uh, to you, the body of Christ at First Baptist Church. Um, it's ultimately good news, but I believe that there will be um, some emotion here. Certainly there has been, um, and you can pray uh, for me as well as I share with share share with you this morning. Um, so, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Um, I'm here to share with you, um, as my brothers and my sisters, about my family's future in ministry. I'm very grateful that God called me and my family uh, to Zealand 10 years ago. We did not know that Zealand existed um, until 10 years ago. And we have shared Christ. <clears throat> we have stood for the word of God with you. We've opened our arms to this community, and we have walked together as Christ Church. And that is glorious. You are my very own selves. My sons grew up here. They broke through the whole Dutch system and uh, made friends and had community. My daughter has made lifelong friends. My wife and I have known your love and your rich fellowship, and we love you, and we've experienced Christ through your love. Um, but a little over two years ago, in October of 2016, I began to experience what I have only been able to describe to others as a divine disturbance, and it's taken me on a very long journey of surrender to God. Um, sometimes we think that we're surrendered to God, or we walk in the confidence of our successes, uh, there's all kinds of different reasons why we have confidence in our flesh. And Paul is very careful to, to, uh, to state that we place no confidence in our flesh, Philippians 3.3. 3. Flesh gives birth to death. Only the Spirit gives birth to life. And so, in struggling with my effectiveness, both as your pastor and just as a man of God, I did one of the most dangerous things that I've ever done in my life. I asked God to break me. I asked God for rebuke and correction. Yes, I had the word of God right in front of me all along. I had the church of Jesus Christ in front of me all along. But I sincerely and willfully entered into uh, a time of self-consecration. And it was brutal. Um, he answered me with a torrent of correction to my life. I learned that I didn't look as much like Jesus as I thought that I did. I didn't act like Jesus as much as I thought I did. And I began to own my mistakes from 
the, being the leader of my home and my family to my leadership as a church, myself as a person of prayer um, in all areas of life, my, even my preaching, any leadership that I give in our church. And um, I owned the fact after a while, because here's what happens when God starts to break you in your flesh and beat down your flesh. You know what you do? You fight even harder in your flesh. And uh, so I said things to God about three or four months in, like, but God, I'm giving you practically every day of my life. I, God, I'm, I'm serving you. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pouring myself into people. I'm praying for others. I'm preaching the word. I'm doing all these things. But still there was confidence in my flesh and even how I did ministry and church. And church, I want to say, first of all, I am sorry to you for that. I apologize. I've repented of that. There's only one way to walk with Jesus, and it's in the power of his spirit. And uh, I apologize because there were times where I walked in the confidence of my own flesh. Romans 14, 23 states this, that whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. All right, do you understand that? That if you place your confidence in anything other than the God of your faith and trust him and obey him, it is sin. And so anything that I do in my unbelief, meaning I believe in anything else other than the Lord my God, is sin. If I'm not living by faith, I'm living by me. That's really bad theology. And this is why the Apostle Paul was so careful to warn us to not be like dogs, confident in our flesh, but to place only our confidence in the Spirit. Jesus covered the topic very well in John 15 where he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, then you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And he bookends that statement both in John 14 and John 16 with the promise of his Holy Spirit and the power that the Spirit will give to the believer. So hardship and self-reflection and thirsting for the Spirit's leading in my life, genuine heart renewal began to come to me as I was challenged on this journey. And ultimately, I discovered that God was seeking me and shaping me for a new challenge. I went with the Kenya team. Kenya folks, where are you? I went with the Kenya team. God bless you. I went with the Kenya team to meet with missionaries Jason and Lisa Hoving and to serve alongside of them, and God began to open my heart to missions. I started to realize, wait, Jason and Lisa, you know, I touched them, I hugged them, I pinched them. They were human. Uh, they were flesh like me, and there was no difference between them and me. The spirit that led them is the spirit that could and should lead me. So at the time, I thought that this meant being intentional as a pastor and going and visit, visiting our other missionaries and supporting them. I, I thought that that was kind of a long call, but this restlessness uh, continued and suggested to me that God was calling for something more. And so this summer, and I've shared this with you, I read a book called The Wonderful Spirit-Filled Life by Dr. Charles Stanley. Again, the Word of God has always been right here in front of me. But in The Wonderful Spirit-Filled Life, um, Stan Stanley uh, goes through uh, hundreds of passages and verses of Scripture in appreciation for what the Spirit of God is supposed to be doing in the believer's life. And in growing appreciation for God's call upon all of us to be filled with the Spirit, I began to seek spiritual disciplines, still crushing, but spiritual disciplines to defeat flesh 
and to live by the Spirit. Some of you have gone up to me, and I know with good intentions going, you're acting weird, you're acting strange, uh, you're different. Um, could I suggest to you, especially in the church of Jesus Christ, that change is not a bad thing? doesn't have to be a bad thing, excuse me. does not have to be a bad thing. Um, we're all called to be filled with the Spirit of God, and if we are, things are going to change, y'all. They're going to change. So I now have longed for revival through obedience. Obedience to God's provision of his power and through his spirit. And I've prayed that for my church. I pray that. God bless you, Mike. God bless you, Paul. God bless you, Carrie. My prayer partners on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. Our series in the book of Acts has shown how history was changed by a small number of people that were simply filled with the Spirit. And I long to change eternities all around the world with Jesus, being filled with and being used by God's Spirit. I'm excited about being God's servant, and I hunger now very much to see His power. And with this journey, there has come a new call on my life. It's not a better call. It's not a safe call. It's just the current call of God upon me, upon Heather and our family. I wish our son Wesley could be here uh, with us, but he's down at Charleston Southern in school, but he's praying. God orchestrated some divine appointments over the late summer, <clears throat> and I've heard a call to missions through Fellowship of Christian Athletes International. The mission of Fellowship of Christian Athletes, which has existed for 53 years, that started with the vision of one Christian coach in 1965, the mission is to lead every coach and athlete into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ and his church. Last year in 2017, 1.4 million decisions, first-time decisions were made through the ministry of FCA. FCA takes a one heart at a time approach. Have you ever heard that before, church? They take a one heart at a time approach to lives. They want to work one life at a time, one athlete at a time, one coach at a time through a rela relational and personal evangelism, seeking to raise up as many teammates as possible to return right back into that same field of evangelism. On Wednesday of this week, FCA called me to an area director position for Charleston, South Carolina. The position calls for a shepherd and for a builder. A person that can do donor ministry basically can be a shepherd to all of the church that is partnering with this missions agency and to build and assemble a staff that can reach an entire county of over 200,000 people while faithfully ministering to our current faithful partners. So God, as soon as, actually, I shared the divine disturbance with our elders back in 2016. I even shared with my elders that I had asked God to rebuke me and uh, to correct me, and they prayed along with me. I want you to know, first of all, that I've never felt as close to my elders as I feel today. They heard my heart, 
they prayed with me and they discerned with me and determined that God was calling me to this new field. Heather and my children have journeyed by faith too. And I commend them in the name of Jesus. My son on Monday prayed an hour before a very important meeting and said, God, I'm so glad my father is walking by faith and that he's swinging for the fences. If that alone is the legacy I can give my children, praise the Lord. We're now convinced, prayerfully convinced of God, and Christ the King is calling us. The Apostle Paul longed for the church with the affection of Jesus. I feel that, I feel that toward you now. And if I could pastor you even in this moment, right? I just preached a sermon about are you ready for the very moment, for the very moment. If I could pastor you in this very moment, I call you to Jesus. I call you to the lordship of Jesus Christ over your life. I call you to be filled with the Spirit. I call you to come and to die. The thing that it took me four months to recognize in this correction and rebuke that I was getting from God is God was not trying to reform me. He was trying to kill me. And praise the Lord, because I'm alive with Jesus. What a glorious church is the church that is empowered by His Spirit. So now let us serve in the new way of God through His Spirit. Mark has a couple things to share. Let me give you a response on behalf of the elders. Um, this was a difficult announcement, but it's exciting as we see Pastor Clint obedient to God's call on his life. And although elders would love for Pastor Clint to stay here at first, we stand behind his call 100%. We agree as elders that this ministry matches Pastor Clint's giftedness and discipleship evangelism, his love for youth, and his passion for sports. He shared his heart very clearly. And as I wrote this letter, approved by elders, they suggested that maybe I was a little bit defensive here, so I'll give you that as a precursor to what's to come. Let me be 100% clear why Clint is not leaving. The elders have not asked him to leave. There's no issue in his doctrine. Oh, believe me, that's right. <laughs> Praise the Lord. There's not sin in his life. There's not a people problem. There's not a budget problem. There's not a church problem. And I say all of this 
to prevent any rumors as to why Clint is leaving, because when change happens, rumors start. And he said I was a little defensive, and maybe I am, because if you start a rumor, I'll give you a black eye. In the name of Jesus, I'll pray for healing, and I'll send you a card. But please stand with pastor and the elders, and don't allow any rumors to start. This is a godly man, and he's worthy of our honor. Now, he's made quite clear his part of the story, but let me tell you how, as elders, we see it. Let me tell you about the process that brought Clint to this place. A little more than a year ago, it had become apparent that he was both spiritually and physically exhausted. And elders felt that it was best for Pastor Clint and for our church for him to take a sabbatical. We even insisted that he take longer than what he wanted because we wanted him to rest. And as odd as this seems as elders, we had to tell him, no, you're not coming back, and no, you cannot be involved. Rest. <laughs> During this time, he had more time for personal study. He had time to seek counsel from others to rest and spend much needed time with his family. This was not a time when he looked for another ministry. But as he was able to spend time with the Lord and be revived in his spirit, Pastor Clint became more sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And as he re-engaged in his ministry here after sabbatical, he gained a stronger and stronger sense that the Lord wanted him to leave the safety of this position here and step out in faith to a new ministry. And in talking with Clint, I will tell you that this was a very difficult decision. I can tell you for sure that he loves this church and this congregation and this community. So, Pastor Clint, for this moment, we thank you for 10 years of ministry here at First Baptist Church. In the same way, we thank God for the call on your life that brought you here. We celebrate with you on God's next call in your life. And Clint, let me just ask you a few questions. Clint, do you believe that you are filled and led by the Holy Spirit in this? Yes, I do. And have you sought God's word? And are you willing to be obedient to whatever he reveals to you? Will you commit to speak boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ? I will. Now, are you ready to step out in faith and to trust God to provide for you? I am. And is your family ready to stand with you 100%? They are. And this part's a little different. Will you continue to be faithful at a local church assembly? And that means... You're going to be a member, not a pastor. <laughs> think about it. I think, I think the answer is yes. That may be an issue of prayer. I ask those because I want you to see again Clint's heart. He wants to be obedient and follow God as God leaves in his life.
Clint, I'm going to ask you to go sit with Heather now. Would you do that? I want you to be with your family. Okay. And I have just a couple of more comments here. So I know immediately everyone wonders what happens now. So let me give you just a brief, very short timetable. Uh, for right now, Pastor Clint will continue preaching until February 10. Um, it'll be a short two weeks, and on February 22, he'll have from the 10th until the 22nd to wrap up his ministry and to finish things in his office. And officially on February 22nd will be Pastor Clint's last day as our pastor here at First. At that time, he'll be able to give himself 100% to preparing for and raising funds. Uh, pastor Clint is going to be a missionary. He is going to need to raise funds. And after February 22nd, he'll be able to pursue those things. Now, elders have begun already to uh, determine how we'll proceed from here. And really, all I can tell you at this point is that on December 2, our goal is to give you somewhat of a report as to what will, uh, how we will proceed from here. I can assure you we will continue to preach God's word from the pulpit here. In fact, our tentative plan right now is uh, current pastors and some of the elders will start out uh, preaching here. And we will walk by faith toward the future God has for us. Here's what you can do. Pray for your elders that God would give us good wisdom as we move forward in these next months. And then I think we need to pray for our church family, for one another, that the Lord would guide each of us as we seek his calling for each of our lives. And then I have another assignment for you here. During this next couple of weeks, would you pour your love into Pastor Clint and Heather and their family. Uh, I want us to stand. I want Pastor Clinton, Heather, Avery, Caroline, you can move to the center, but I want everybody to kind of gather around them. So uh, you can stay right there, gather around, just, just move in, move in. Just, I wish everybody could put a hand on them. I wish everybody could be close to them, but you just get as close as you can, all right? I'm going to try to pray. <laughs> and then I have one more comment for you, okay? All right, church, let's pray. Father, oh God, we thank you for Pastor Clint and for his family. We thank you for his ministry here. We thank you for his friendship. We thank you for his fellowship. Father, thank you for the clear teaching of the word we heard again this morning. And Father, now we pray for them as they step out in faith. Not even knowing for sure all that you have for them. Father, they're stepping out in faith, trusting you for support financially. They're, check, they're trusting you in faith for all of your provision and uh, the relocating and establishing ministry. Father, I pray for them, your greatest blessing. Father, I pray for our church, and you know the issues we'll go through in the next months to come as, as we um, continue in ministry here and continue serving here in Zealand. 
as we seek to honor and to worship and to praise you. So, Father, we give all of this to you. Father, thank you for this church, for this body, and for these people. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I have one more thing for you to do, okay? Now, he's kind of right in the crowd there, their whole family. Pastor Clinton has never been a real big hugger. I've hugged, hugged him sometimes, and he's felt like a board. We're going to fix that right now. Sorry, man. You, you did. So feel free to give him a hug today, all right? The whole family. Encourage them. Love them. Pray for them. Thank you. Amen. Pastor, Pastor has a comment. I want to love you and pastor you well. Let me pastor you and love you well um, during the time that we have. We've got lots of time. And uh, Jesus could come back next week, so let's, let's make sure that we, uh, yeah, it would kind of be a little confusing at first <laughs> to understand what he's been doing, but let's love each other well, okay? God bless you.